this is our uh, last week in Acts for a little bit. We're going to, um, next week we, we begin Advent. It's the first Sunday of Advent, and we're going to uh, basically go through the four Sundays of Advent. We're going to look at the servant songs in the book of Isaiah. So if you want to start looking at those, you can look at um, Isaiah 42 during the week and read through that and think about it. Um, as we talk about it next, next Sunday. But this morning, we're going to continue to look at the book of Acts as we look at chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. So far, what we've been seeing in the book of Acts is, is, is the, the community of people who have become uh, believers, who are believing in Jesus, and, and they're gathering, and this, this community is growing and increasing, and, and we're seeing a God who is absolutely unstoppable in the way that he is growing this community of people, this church. And uh, the, the church is growing and increasing by leaps and bounds. In spite of there being obstacles outside of the church, there's threats, there's beatings, there's imprisonments, and, and the, in spite of obstacles in the church um, where uh, there's, there's hypocrisy and there's deceit and, and there's even supernatural judgments coming upon people, and yet the, the church continues to grow and, and multiply and, and as you would expect, as this, as this community of people is, is just growing rapidly, there are going to be naturally going to be some growing pains. You would expect a community that's growing so fast would have some difficulties and obstacles in the way that they relate to each other and the way that they're, they're doing things. And that's what you see at the beginning of Acts 6. There's some conflict and some, some, uh, some problems among the people in the church. And to, to just give you a, a couple background on a couple... Um, terms that you need to know as you, as you read this passage. There's, there's two groups that this passage refers to. There's Hebrews, and that's referring to the Jews who have grown up in Israel who speak um, a, a Semitic uh, na- native dialect, you know, maybe Aramaic or something like that. They, they're, they're the Jews that have grown up in Israel. Um, and then there, there's another group called the Hellenists, and these are, are Jews who speak Greek primarily because at some point in time their families been they've been dispersed to different parts of the world and they've grown up in other nations where Greek is the main language and that's what they grew up speaking and, and so some of those people have come back and are living in Jerusalem and in Israel. And so you have these two groups of people and you can imagine the Greek speaking people probably picked up some of the a little bit of the culture that they grew up in and, and so the, the Hebrews, the 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 Jewish the kind of the pure Jewish people might have had reason to kind of look down on them a little bit. It was just another reason to kind of kind of separate themselves from them. And so that's a, these are the two groups that now have become Christians and they're following Jesus and they're all part of the church together. So listen to God's word as I read. From Acts 6, I'm going to read 1 to 7. That's printed in your order of worship. If you don't have a Bible, um, I encourage you to follow along and listen to what God has to say to you this morning. Now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed 
and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, we are not alone here as we look at this passage, that your spirit is here. And we thank you that you um, delight in speaking through your word, by your spirit. Father, we pray that uh, you would unstop our ears and our minds and you would help us to see what you want us to see here, the truth about you, about us, about life. Father, we pray that you would use your word now to shape us and change us. Help us, Father, now to build our lives on what you say here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Andy, if you want to put that first slide up there. I don't know how many of you guys recognize this advertisement. Does any of you guys recognize this advertisement? You had those. A couple of people had those. Andy had those. Excellent. Well, I, you know, you could kind of say I had them as well. This advertisement is so awesome. Here, I'll, I'll I, just listen to what it says. If, if you've ever, th- these are sea monkeys, okay, that um, they would sell. Like you, you would order for that, order away from them. They would send you them in the mail. And uh, if you can't probably read it. It's probably hard to see there. But it says sea monkeys own a bowlful of happiness. A bowlful of happiness. Instant pets. Okay, just add water. All you have to do is you get the sea monkeys, you add water, and in one second, your amazing sea monkeys actually come to life. I mean, this is amazing. And then it says in the, in the red writing, it says, so eager to please, they can even be trained. I'm like, this sounds awesome. When I was a little kid and I saw this in a magazine, I was like, I had to have these things. I was like, I mean, there's even this, this free box here. The last thing on the free box, it says, our famous growth guarantee in writing. So I'm envisioning getting these sea monkeys, this little tank, and, uh, and I'm just going to add water, and suddenly I'm going to have, a, you know, thousands of instant friends that I could, like, do stuff with. I mean, according to this picture, they're like, they have arms, they have legs. It's, it's amazing. I quickly figured out that that's not how they worked. Um, and, but, but I realized that you know, what, what it was is that there are these little brine shrimp that would just like swim around the tank. So put the next tank up, the next picture up. This is what I pictured it was going to look like. If you can see that. I, I pictured there would just be like hundreds and hundreds of these little tiny creatures that would be swimming around in my tank, and I could just like move my finger, and they would follow my finger around. I could you know, train them to swim in patterns or something. I don't know. I was, like, I was so excited because of this advertisement that promised so much. And then I got my sea monkeys. You can put the next tank up. And this is what my sea monkeys look like. I, I added the water, and then I just spent the day. Is there something moving there? And then the next day, I'm like looking at it, searching. I, I think that might be something. I don't know. There's, there might be something floating. I don't know. Is that, is that alive? I'm not really sure. And it was, you know, it was... It was Hugely disappointing. You know, the, the, the growth guarantee really didn't come through for me. But, but I just kind of moved on. I, it was, what, what was the big deal? I didn't really care. You can take that down, Andy. Um, I just moved on with my life, you know, even though I had, I had no living, exciting sea monkeys that I could train. In Acts 6, we continue to see a, com- a community that is growing like crazy. The beginning of Acts 6 says, um, 
in the days when the disciples were increasing in number. And, and you, we've seen several times over the first few chapters how it's talking about, you know, they're multiplying and they're, they're adding to their number daily, you know, um, more than ever before. There's the, this, this group is increasing. The end of this passage in verse 7, it says, the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So th- what you have in this passage is this picture of this incredible growth. What you have as you've been reading through the book of Acts is, is this incredible growth, and you see the, the work of God's Spirit in powerful ways, in obvious ways, right? And, you know, as I read this, this, this the book of Acts, as I read this passage, I'm thinking, you know, this, this is like the advertisement for sea monkeys. It promises so much. It promises so much for what we should hopefully expect in our church of hopefully what we should expect in our lives, this, this incredible, miraculous growth and fruitfulness and increase and an increase in experience of the power and the presence of the Spirit of God. It promises so much. And yet, sadly, I feel like when I look at my own life, even when I look at our church, like there's some great things happening, but a lot of times I feel like I'm looking at my, my tank of sea monkeys. I'm like, is, is something actually moving there? Is there... Is there Where's all this life that I was promised here that I'm expecting to see here in the book of Acts? I don't see as much as, as it seems to promise. Where is it? Where is it? And, and, but, but sadly, even though I look at my life, I look at, at our, our church, and I'm like, okay, there's not as much as, as there should be. I'm just kind of like, I just grow complacent with it, you know, satisfied with it. Just like I just like walked, moved on with my life even though my, my sea monkey tank was empty. I kind of just kind of continue to move through my life, even though things are just kind of floating around and, and not as living as they should be, right? Um, I think maybe a lot of us do that. But how is it that, you know, as I mentioned, they're, they're experiencing growing pains, right? How is it that as this community grows, they face some problems, right? They're facing a problem here, a, a conflict. They're facing some people being neglected, feeling like they're, they're, not, they're being overlooked, they're not being cared for as they should. There's a little bit of conflict here. And yet even through this, the church continues to explode and grow. You continue to see the presence and the reality of the Spirit of God working. How is that 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 happens? And, and what I see here in this passage is at least three things that the church does that I think are key towards seeing more growth, more increase, of the Spirit's work in our lives and of his fruitfulness in our lives and in our church community. And so I want to just point us to those things in the hopes that we might see more, that we, we might see more of the Spirit's work, okay? So the first thing that I want to point us to is the fact that, that in the midst of this little problem, big problem, conflict, they prioritized God's word. They prioritized God's word. So there's, there's this conflict, right? The, the, the Hellenists are complaining that the Hebrews are neglecting their widows. They're, they're not, and they're, they're, they have a daily distribution of food and bread to those who are in need. And the, and the Hellenists' widows are not getting the same as, as everybody else. Um, they're being overlooked, um, maybe even discriminated against. And, um, and so this is, a, this is a real problem. And yet what do the apostles say in verse 2? It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, okay? So this is a problem, but what they say is it's not right that we should stop preaching the word of God, that we should stop focusing primarily on communicating God's word. 
on communicating the message of Jesus Christ, of who he is, of what he's done, of, of how all of God's word points to the fact that Jesus is the answer. It's not right that we should get distracted from that and neglect that in order to focus on this. The priority is God's word because it's God's word that can actually transform and change. It's through God's word that we find real power to make a difference. Okay? Essentially, they acknowledge that this is a problem, but they cannot and will not get distracted from what they see as their number one job, which is to communicate the message of God, the words of God. Their number one job is talking about Jesus, what he has done, what he has taught, how all of the Bible points to him that, that because of our sin problem, we are separated from God, and it's only through Jesus and his death on the cross that we can be restored in fellowship to God, that we can be restored in a relationship with God and know him and live with him. And, and see him working in us and change. And there's all sorts of places where the Bible talks about the power of the word of God. I mean, just even in the chapter before this, we never read this part, but, but when the, the Peter and the apostles are, are arrested and the angel comes and, and frees them from, from jail, miraculously, the angel tells them, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. The reason they could not neglect the words and telling people about the words of God is because that is the only place that life is found. Apart from God's words, we do not have hope. We do not have peace. We do not have joy. We don't have God. And so they had to stick with God's word. I mean, in Hebrews it talks about how, how God's word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. In Isaiah 55, it talks about how God's word goes out and never comes back empty. And so there's power in the word of God. I mean, yes, it's important. I think they, they see, and we're going to see that. It's important to, to deal with, with caring for people and this problem. But no matter how good we are at administering things, no matter how good we are at trying to be kind and, and help people, the real power to change and be made whole is in God's word alone. And so we have to stick with that. And we have to make sure we're proclaiming that. And this is why the church kept increasing, because they were faithfully con continuing to communicate the message of Jesus, how the words of God point to him, his life and his death and his resurrection, that he is alive. That is why, as a church, we, we try as much as we can to make sure that God's word is a big part of everything that we do. I mean, that's why we spend, you know, 25, 30 minutes on Sunday mornings looking at a passage of scripture. It's because, you know, no matter how hard we try, how, no matter how many books, self-help books we buy, no matter what kind of strategies we put in place in our lives to, to kind of improve our lives and make them better, it is only through this that we can really experience change, real change lasting change. And so that's why this is so important. That's why it's important to, if, if you're not involved in one, to get involved in a Bible study or small group where you're talking about God's words with other people. That's why it's so important to spend time to try to put time in every part of your day or in every day to, to, to read God's word and to soak it in. We need God's word, we need to prioritize it in our lives because it's only through God's word that we can truly be made whole. 
We need to prioritize it. But they don't just prioritize God's word. They also pay attention to people. They pay attention to people in here as well, right? They, they, they don't just, the, 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 um, the apostles don't just say, okay, guys, this is, you just work it out yourselves. Come on. We got to focus on preaching. We got to focus on telling people about Jesus. You guys just need to work this out. You're being immature. You know, you can imagine that the apostles might have been, uh, uh, they had recently been beaten within an inch of their lives, right? And it could have been tempting for them to just be thinking about them, themselves and, and how what the important task that they had to continue to focus on and being like, just, just, you know, stop whining. Work it out. But they don't. They recognize this is a problem and they work to solve the problem. By in, by they pay attention to people. They listen to them. They involve people in the solution of the problem, right? They gather everyone. It says in verse 2, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples to figure this out. And then what do they do? Is, I think it's a beautiful thing. You, know, you don't maybe notice this on the surface as you read this, but the solution that they come up with, that the church comes up with, the community of disciples comes up with, is a beautiful one that pays attention to people. They not only listen to these Hellenist widows, the Hellenists and, and the people who are fighting for, for the widow's treatment, they, they're, they're sensitive to what they might need most. The, they pick these seven guys, okay? They pick these seven guys, and, uh, and what you might not realize at first glance is that these seven men, their names are actually Greek names, okay? So the solution that they came up with, the men that they picked to care for this problem, were most likely Hellenists. They were people who could now represent these people who are, looking, who are overlooked, who are being slighted, who are being neglected. There are people that could represent them, that could know, what they, you know their needs best. That's who they picked. They didn't pick people who would be out of touch with the Hellenists. They picked people who would be most in touch with the Hellenists, who would understand where they're coming from, who would be able to... They, they, were, they were paying attention to people here. Right? And this is something that I think... I find hard to do as I live my life. I think we all find hard to do. Most of the time, it's so easy to be consumed with me, with what I want to do, with my problems, with my pains, with my heartaches, with my frustrations, that as I'm, as I'm preoccupied with myself, everyone around me becomes more of a prop than a person. Where I just kind of interact with people in a way that, um, you know, they're, they're just somebody to kind of get around. Maybe an inconvenience that, that kind of just kind of been, been put in my way that I have to kind of maneuver around so I can continue working on what I want to do, what I'm thinking about most. I treat people often as props. That's a temptation is to treat people as props rather than people. One of, one of my, the, the presents that I, I'm, the Christmas presents that I'm most proud of giving to my kids, one of them, when they were little, um, we, we used to watch a lot of hockey. I, I was a big Rangers fan. Um, and so I was indoctrinating them to become Rangers fans as well. And, and so we watched a lot of hockey. And one of the presents we got for them for Christmas when they were little is we got them this little hockey goal that they could play hockey. They, they had little tiny sticks and a little ball that they could hit the, hit the balls in the, in the net in the hallway of our house. And, and that's not the, the thing I was proud about. The thing I was really proud about is that I, uh, I, I, cut, out this, the, I, I cut out this cardboard, this piece of cardboard, and, and I printed out some pictures of Martin Brodeur, who's the, who is the, the goalie for the Devils at the time, one of the, the, Angers, the Rangers' arch rivals, you know. And Martin Brodeur, one of the greatest goalies of all time. I, I printed him out, stuck him on the cardboard. I made a little cardboard cutout 
of Martin Brodeur, a little two-foot-tall one that, could, that we could lean up in front of the goal. And then they could just like shoot on Martin all day, just like pelt him with, with little balls and, and try to get the ball past him, you know. And it was, I was like, that was, that was just ingenious. That was such a great gift. I felt so good about myself. But they did love it. I mean, we all loved it. I loved doing it too. But, I mean, the thing is, you know, Martin was just a cardboard cutout. He was a prop to try to just score past. We didn't think about Martin as a person, right? Sadly, yeah, sorry, Devils fans. But sadly, that's how we often treat people in our lives, real people in our lives, as cardboard cutouts that are merely in our way, that are merely kind of slowing us down, whose maybe problems are just, I don't want to deal with those. And yet, this passage, I think, encourages us not only to prioritize the the importance of God's word in our lives, but to pay attention to people. If we want to experience increase of God's work and his fruitfulness in our lives, in our church, we need to pay attention to people. We need to listen to the people around us, the people that, that are in front of us. We need to be sensitive to them, to think about how they might be hurting, what, to try to understand what they are going through. We need to be people who pay attention to people because that's, that's how God wants to work. He wants to work in people. And so we need to pay attention to people, as you, as you go into the workplace, I'm sure a lot of you guys go into your offices and, and you know, you're, you're focused on, this is what I need to get done today. And the people around you, I'm sure, it's, it's hard to pay attention to them as people. But that is what we need to do. We need to do that in our friendships. Rather than being so consumed with what I need and what I want, to actually slow down and listen to the people around me. Even, you know, the people you live with in your homes, your parents, your kids, your spouse. It can be easy to even those people to kind of just treat those as obstacles to get around rather than to slow down and listen, to pay attention, to be sensitive to what they might need most. This passage encourages us to pay attention to people as well as prioritizing God's word. And the last thing I want to mention that, that moves them towards growth is that they perceive their limitations. They perceive their limitations. So notice that when faced with this conflict, with this need, they decided to choose some guys who would work on a solution. So our, our natural instincts, okay, we need to find, we need some, find some guys who are good at administration, right? Find some guys who are wise and knowing how to, how to deal with people. Find some guys who maybe are well-liked and respected, right? So that's, that's a natural inclination, is to find guys who can handle this problem well. And, and that is, seems to be what they did. They found, you know, men who were... Um, who were who, what, is it, what does it say? That they were, um, sorry, I lost my place. Verse 3, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, yes, John, full of the spirit and of wisdom. The, the final qualification that they did not ignore, they weren't just looking for guys who might be able to handle the problem well, they were looking for guys who are full of the spirit of God. They were looking for guys who are full of the spirit of God. That when you looked at their life, it was obvious that God was working in them and through them. Why? Because they realize that they can't do this with just their own wisdom, with just their ability to figure things out. They, 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 there was a limitation to what they were going to be able to do as they cared for these widows and these two groups of people. They needed God. They needed God's spirit 
be working through these guys. And, and then in verse 6, it says, they, they set before the, they, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Why did they do this? They, they, they did this because they're like, we can't do this without you, God. We need you, God, to pour out your spirit on these guys and to work through these guys. We can't do this. We need you. You also see evidence in the apostles' lives of that, that they realize their limitations, right? In verse 4, when they say, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. They weren't just going to focus on trying to, to explain things to people about Jesus. They knew that they, they needed God, and so they had to pray. They had to pray for God to do something in the work. They recognized their limitations. They perceived their limitations. And again, this is a, a challenge for me, and I'm sure it is a challenge for you to recognize recognize your limitations at times. Because a lot of the time as I, as I approach life, I tend to look at life and I look at the church and the things that need to be done. I look at my family. I look at ways I'm, I'm trying to help other people and help friends. And I tend to say, I got this. I got it. I can do this. I don't immediately turn to God and be like, I can't do this without you. I tend to just say, I got this. I can figure this out on my own. I got this. One of the, the cutest things that our, our littlest one does, David, is uh, he's, he's four years old, and, and um, there often he will be trying to do something. He'll be like putting his socks on or something. Where he's, you know, he's learning to put his socks on. He's, he's getting better at it, but sometimes he struggles. And I'm like, David, you want some help? And the cutest thing in the world, he's just like, I got it. I got it. And so I let him keep working on it. Or, you know, he, he just recently, not too long ago, learned to start pumping himself on the swings. You know, he used to have to push him on the swings. Now he can go himself. And so even now, he, he'll go over to the swing, and I'll be like, you need some help getting on the swing? He's like, I got it. I got it. And then he gets up there, you know. But there are moments, there are things that he still cannot do. And yet, he still will say, I got it. Right? When he's trying to put on a, a button-down shirt, and it's like buttoned to the top, and he's like trying to pull it over his head. And I'm like, you want some help, Dave? He's like, I got it. I got it. I got it. It's like, it's like stuck on top of his head, and he's just like pulling it down. I got it. You know, and, and, and no matter how long I, I let him do that, he's just, he'll just continue to insist, I got it. I got it. Eventually, I'll, I'll just wait there, wait, wait, wait. Finally, I'm like, Dave, you sure you don't want some help? And then he just looks at me. He's like. <laughs> but I think uh, that is how we approach life. I mean, look at how much a lot of us pray. Look at how absent prayer is from a lot of our lives. We're living our lives just saying, I got it. As I go into the office to do things at work, to accomplish things, I'm, I'm like, I got this, I got it. It all rests on me. I can do this. You know, as, 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 we, as we deal with problems that, that those around us have, friends have, loved ones have, we're, we're like, I got it. I can figure this out. I got it. I think one of the things this passage point, points us to and, and urges us to realize is that we have severe limitations when it comes to seeing the work of God in our lives, when it comes to seeing increase in the fruit of God in my own heart and in my own life and in, in the lives of the people around me and, and in our church. And we need to stop saying, I got it. And we need to start crying out to God so much more Thank God, only you got this. I need you to work. I need you to meet me in the midst of this. 
as a church, if only we would, we would pray together more. Not just to, for God to, to help me feel better about a certain thing, but for, for God to work. For God's spirit to do things that, they, we can't, that cannot be explained otherwise. For deeper, authentic relationships with one another. For, for people to, to experience real life change. We've got to stop saying, I got it. We've got to stop. We cannot do this without God. We need him desperately. And so that's where I'm going to leave us this morning. What, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? As you come here on Sundays, you know, we, we can say, I got it. I, a lot of us, like, we come on Sunday mornings. I, I know the songs. I can sing along. I can follow along, you know. Or are you going to come on Sunday morning and be like, God, we desperately want you to move among us. We want your spirit. We want to experience it. As you go about your life, what do you want? Do you want the increase of the Spirit's work in your heart, in your life, in the things that you say, in the, in the impact that it has on the people around you? What do you want? Do, do you want the greater promises, you know, like the sea monkey tank, the greater promises of Acts? Do you want these to be actually true and, 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 and visible in your life? Because that is what I want. But if that's what we want, then, then we're going to start pouring ourselves over God's word and letting it, and, and saturating our hearts with it. We're, we're going we're gonna to start working at, at, at trying to pay attention to people. We're going to recognize that, that we can't do this, that only God can. So let's go to him now in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would save us from the attitude that says, I got it. As we come to you, as we come to your table, which reminds us that we don't have it, that our sin has, has broken us in such a way that, that we cannot even approach you apart from you working for us, apart from what you have done for us in Christ. Father, we pray that you would save us from an attitude that says, I got it, as we, as we try to, to care for our friends and our families and as we try to do our work, as we serve in this church or other places in our lives, Father, we pray that you would save us. Help us to see that only you can do this. Only you can change us. Only you can work through us in a way that will bring the kingdom. Father, we pray that you would help us to pay attention to your words, to pay attention to people that you place in our lives. We pray that we would see an increase of your power. Even to the point where we see a surprising things happening, like in this passage where the priests, even the priests, the enemies of Jesus and, and, and your people to this point are coming to know you and believe. Father, we pray that you would work through us that we would see these amazing things happen. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we approach the Lord's table, let's take a moment to confess our sin together.
to confess our failure to rely on him, to acknowledge him, to love him, and to love others, to pay attention to people. We're going to confess our sin together and our need for his grace and his forgiveness and his work in Christ. So please read the prayer. Pray the prayer that's printed in your order of worship along with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come boldly to your throne of grace today, trusting in the gift of Christ's righteousness and owning the depth of our need. It is your provision and not our performance in which we trust. Forgive our failure to love well, for being too busy to engage, too proud to be vulnerable, and too selfish to care. Forgive our failure to seek you, for letting almost anything crowd you out, for ignoring your desire to fellowship with us, and for trying to do life in our own strength. Have mercy on us, Lord. In Christ's merciful and mighty name we pray. Amen. Father, we pray that you would now hear our silent prayers of confession as we as we confess privately to you. Father, we thank you for the provision of your son, Jesus, that uh, in the face of our sin, that you have, through Christ, proclaimed us righteous. We thank you for the gift of your son and his sacrifice. We pray that you would help us to truly rest in him today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 55, 6-7 says this. Listen to God's word. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. We have an opportunity this morning to come and to celebrate what God has done for us to make provision for the brokenness that we have experienced in our relationship with him. It's an opportunity to celebrate his gift of righteousness through Christ. It's an opportunity to, to come to his table and, and, and remember that he invites us to experience fellowship and intimacy with him. If you're here this morning and you have come to, to the place in your life where, where you're saying, yes, I cannot do this. I cannot come to God unless God comes to me through Christ. I cannot do it except for what Jesus has done for me. Then I encourage you to take take the bread, take the the juice, drink it, eat. Know that, that you are forgiven, that you are loved, that he is with you. If you're here this morning and, and you have not come to that place in your life where, where you recognize that you need to be forgiven, that, that you need Jesus to die for you, if you're, if you're content to try to just kind of live your life, doing your best, trying to be nice, and you think that's enough, 
and you don't have a relationship with Jesus because you've never trusted him, then I would encourage you to let the elements pass. This meal is for those who, who have trusted in Christ and know their need for him. But I would also encourage you, if you're here this morning, and even this morning, you've come to the place where you're like, yes, I, I'm, I am a sinner. I need God's forgiveness. Jesus is enough. Then I encourage you to take, eat, drink. Jesus is enough for you. Listen to the words of institution from Matthew 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We have an opportunity now to look back, to remember that Jesus truly walked this earth and truly hung on a cross and died. And that death accomplished something. He took upon himself God's judgment for your sin. We have an opportunity to to meet him here. The spirit of God is here. He is present. It's an opportunity to, as, as we eat, as we drink, to say, Jesus, I need you. I, just as my body needs food, I need you in order to live. I can't do this without you. Feed me. Nourish me. Grow my faith. It's an opportunity to look forward to the future. And we, we're going to celebrate when he comes back. He is coming back. He is alive. And we will celebrate as he transforms everything, as he makes everything new. Jesus is coming back and there will be no more pain, no more sin, no more suffering. It's an opportunity to look forward to that day in the midst of the the pain and suffering we feel now. Let's pray together as the ushers come forward. Father, we pray that you would take these elements, these common elements, this bread, this juice, that you would use them. There's nothing special about them. They don't change in any way, and yet you can use them by your spirit to grow us in our faith. Father, we pray that you would nourish us that you would strengthen us, that you would help us to to believe that Jesus is enough and that you would remind us that we cannot do church, we cannot do life apart from you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I would ask that you would hold on to the elements till everyone's been served and we'll all partake together. In the darkness we